Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Sydney, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. Hello, welcome to the Florence Guild podcast. My name is Fenella Kernerbone, and I'm just about to introduce you to our guest today. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to firstly acknowledge the traditional custodians that we all have the great privilege to live and work on across this uh, big, beautiful country of Australia. So I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And I pay my respects and love to uh, my guest today, Sasha Sirago. Hello, Sasha. How are you? Hi. Good thank to, you. Good to see you. Likewise. It's been a while. It has been a while and uh, it is, in fact, really lovely to see you in person after so many months, obviously, of talking on Zoom as we all have. Um, uh, before we kind of talk about how we we know each other, maybe I might just get um, you to to kick off and tell me, who, like, who are you? What is your story? Tell us a bit about yourself just to, just to start us off. Well, at the moment, <laughs> I'm a writer, I'm a speaker, filmmaker, and the editor of Ascension, Australia's first digital lifestyle platform for women of color, reinserting them into the conversation of fashion and beauty in this country. And yeah, we've had a great relationship working on TEDx. So also put that on the list, TEDx speaker. I'm still embracing that. (laughs) It's true. Um, In fact, we're sitting here uh, for Florence Guild and we're at Barangaroo, which is a really important place. And we'll talk about that in just a moment because that feeds into your TEDx Sydney talk. But I wanted to kind of go back a little bit to when we actually first met, which was in fact um, right here Um, because you got in contact with me and said, I'm interested in talking to you about an idea I have for a talk. Um, do you remember what what gave you the impetus to know that this was the talk that you wanted to do, that this this was the moment for you to to do something like a TEDx talk? Tell me a bit about that process for you. I think it's been a process in the making from carrying on from launching Ascension, really putting women of colour in the forefront of conversations, particularly in the mainstream. And then for me to go on my personal journey of embracing my indigeneity, it has been something that has taken me a while to be comfortable with myself, also with my wider com- community, but also to uh, in the public and speaking about issues that I'm passionate about and it affects me. Sometimes it's a bit daunting because you're trying to gauge the temperature of where we're at collectively when it comes to social and political issues. I just felt it was really time to center First Nations women. And just from what I haven't seen being showcased, it was really important for me to take the reins in some respect and really own it through my own personal stories. I feel you can't go wrong with that. Owning your truth and speaking your truth. And I think a lot of women are coming into that arena when it comes to being vulnerable, especially if we're working in business, that, you know, it's not about thinking like a man. It's about, I'm all into feminine archetypes now. I'm (laughs) delving into that area and shifting it when it comes to the patriarchy. You know, we scream and, you know, complain and we want to make change in that area, but we need to demonstrate that. And I thought, what better way than delving into the First Nations women's wisdom, their legacies that a lot of people don't know about, Mm. and also their stories. I say now, you know, Australia has a black history. 
Black Her Story and B L A K. That's her right. story. That's I just right. want to get the spelling right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's it, it and you're right. It it was it, for you it was time when we when we first met in fact here at Work Club um it was time for you to tell those stories and I was so delighted to meet you because as the curator of TEDx Sydney um the opportunity for you to be able to share that story and to open up that dialogue and to get that idea across to a very broad audience was um, really important and it was such a delight to work with you. Um, let's come back to your talk in just a moment. You, you talked about Ascension, which is your your magazine for women of colour here in Australia, the first digital platform for women of colour in this country, which is um, certainly something to be um, super proud of. That started in, in 2011. Tell me a bit about the journey of getting that off the ground and creating this, what is now a really significant platform that covers lots of different topics and issues. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so the idea came in 2011, uh, trying to keep it in a snapshot, but off the tail end of two life-changing moments for me. So it really posed the deep questions of what are you doing with your life (laughs) and what are your passions? And I knew for me I wanted to get back into writing and fashion and media in some way, shape or form. And that came to me after, you know, 10 years working in not-for-profit, corporate, landing in government. But I knew in the long term, that's not where I wanted to be. But first and foremost, it was feeling invisible in this country as a black woman when it came to having to simply import magazines from the US, Mm. you know, magazines like Ebony and Essence, some UK publications, just to see a reflection of myself. There was just nothing, wasn't there? Absolutely nothing. And the publications that were around, there were a few, and it just focused on one cultural diaspora. Mm. For me, I'm a First Nations woman. I'm African-American with Malay and Mauritian heritage. And a lot of my peers were the same. So to have a distinct Australian voice that encompassed the multicultural narrative was really essential. And that was the inspiration behind setting up Ascension. And then also on top of that, you know, pushing back from people in the industry who was focused on that traditional print model. I wanted it digital because for me, I felt like there was a lot of ground to be covered in the respect of we haven't been in this mainstream conversation. I have grand visions (laughs) and I still do. And it was to have the world's leading Indigenous platform for women of color. So I'm still, you know, ticking along with that. (laughs) But for me to achieve that would be digital. You know, how do I touch base and how do I spread that narrative globally with other Indigenous women? A lot of the issues that we face are quite similar and we can learn from each other. And there's strength in numbers when you look at it that way. But also too, we've been absent from the conversation. I felt like there was a lot of ground to cover and what better way to use digital And then, you know, foreseeing that this is how we're going to communicate. It might feel a little bit fiddly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't want to let go. It's, you know, it's trying to get your baby to, you know, daycare. It's like, I don't (laughs) want to let him go, but you have to in order to grow in your business or, you know, achieve a grand scheme that sometimes the people in front of you can't see it, but there's got to be some kind of level of trust that you plant with them. Mm. Since since starting the magazine in 2011, so it's 10 years now, um, 
and obviously in that time, digital has become more and more the thing, of course. This is this is a, a commonplace. Also social media, Instagram and other types of avenues for visibility to emerge. How has how is how have things changed when it comes to visibility that you spoke about earlier? Have you seen a shift and what role then does a magazine like Ascension play in this other place where this there is a lot more content out there? What's changed, what's shifted, what else needs to change, I guess? What's changed is I think people are open to having the conversations of what equity and diversity means to them as a business personally. And then they've got examples of that, which is really good. And, you know, we spoke about that earlier, you know, after doing it for 10 years and being somewhat of a trailblazer in this area, you feel very proud of the work. It was hard because no one was listening. No one wanted to embrace diversity. And it was only those beautiful, well-meaning allies that just got it. Mm. And they wanted to be a part of that movement and to feel like they were giving back to growing that diversity. And now you have all these different niche markets, subgroups. I feel like people can find themselves wherever in the digital space. So that just makes my job much easier. I was very fearful. I was like, oh my God, does this mean Ascension is going to just be diluted and you know, off in the ether and it doesn't make any sense to anyone? But the beauty of it is that I was able to let go of it, hand the reins over to this new generation that's popping up. You know, I like to think I'm young and fresh. <laughs> you know what I mean? As a, as a well, founder. I'd like to, I beg to differ. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you have to be honest with yourself and go, you know, I don't have the tech savvy as I used to, or there's so many different social media platforms that speak a different language. I don't have the, you know, the panache to, to handle that. And I need to find team members to take control of that, mm. own that space, but also foresee it to make sure that we're in line with the vision. So in some respects, it's it's a godsend that it makes my job easier when it comes to equity and diversity for women of color and for all these other different subgroups that are coming up. You know, you look at the, you know, LGBTQ plus A community as well. Like we're, we're driving conversations that were dormant for so long. Um, so for me, it helps me to pivot and build my personal brand and look at what do I want to do personally as a founder and personally, you know, on the side of being a writer, a filmmaker, do I want to get into script writing? <laughs> what else can I do? What exactly. else can I share? And how else can I sort of drive drive change? Um, which gets us back to your TEDx talk. Um, and the, the talk is called Pretty Hurts. It's time to decolonize beauty. Did I forget that? Is that no, right? You got it. I got so it right. It's called the talk is called Pretty Hurts. It's time to decolonize beauty. And Sasha spoke at TEDx Sydney on November six last year. So kind of right in the cusp end of COVID. So um, just an absolutely sensational talk. So I recommend you 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 go and watch it. And I know there'll be a link that is attached to this page. Um, so we'll get back to that that conversation. Um, you start the talk uh, with a story. Um, tell me a little bit why you wanted to start with that story. Because I, I don't want to tell, tell people what this is about and why this is the most important part of it in so many ways. It's the springboard for the bigger conversation. So why did you need to start with that story? Well, because I've been obsessed with it since 11 years old. And I think the obsession came from wanting to know what that statement meant and why it was said to me. And and the statement was? You're too pretty to be Aboriginal. You know, um, very confronting. When you had no concept of 
Aboriginality or identity. You were just another child at a birthday party going about your business, having cake and kicking with your friends. And all of a sudden there's this question of you're other, you're different. And so that stays with you. And whether you reconcile it or not, um, you know, it's hard to say. I feel like I've made peace with it through the storytelling, you know, doing TEDx, doing Ascension and speaking about that in our first edition and then going on to create a documentary that shares that experience that other Aboriginal women have encountered and their relationship with this statement. But also importantly, making sure that it doesn't it's, it's not a conversation that sits just with First Nations women because it actually opens up a deep, dark colonial history that we all have contact with, whether we know it or not. And through the process of talking about this definition of what beauty actually is, we can, we can unpack where that comes from, where this denigration of black women comes from, of women in the mm, first place mm. and how our history as white Australians is impacting and continues to impact um, to this day. So it's an incredibly powerful talk and we'll talk about that, uh, some of the stories that you tell in just a moment. But was that time when you first decided your definition of what beauty actually was, how did you start to sort of unpack or think about beauty in a different way? For me, I didn't associate anything with beauty with Aboriginality. It was something that I hid it wasn't spoken about, didn't want to bring attention to it. Also, when you look at the billboards, it's just, it's white women. It's, you know, mm. <laughs> as growing up, you know, that's what it was. And I, and I, for me, my saving grace was being able to rely on the representation that came with being an African-American woman and seeing those representations growing up in the States. That was awesome to see that. But then also too difficult to try and process that when you come back to Australia and you don't see nothing. And there's this really Aussie trademark vision and it doesn't include you. It's sandy hair. It's Vegemite. Blonde it's- people <laughs> on the beach. It's a bit of yeah, Paul Hogan. And yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and it even brings me back to the the concept of beauty when you form it. We'll speak about this more in the session, but it was being a six-year-old and putting the skirt on your head and pretending you had long, straight, luxurious hair. You know, where do you get these concepts of beauty? Where do you see it? You know, how do you internalize it? So for me, Aboriginality was something that was hushed. And, you know, when I think about it now, it's something that's been passed down generationally. You know, my ancestors weren't supposed to speak and practice their culture and you know, that gets passed down to you. And so to have that period of time where nothing good can come from your Aboriginality and then, you know, having this really weird relationship with the other form of blackness that you hold, that African-American culture is more palatable. It's the most palatable blackness Mm. that you have uh, in your armor. And you can use that and that's how you navigate and find acceptance and confidence. So it was just this weird murky area of identity of how to embrace one, how to denounce the next, and then still try and find yourself amongst that. Even when you delve into not just identity culturally, but femininity, Mm. every woman, I think, in some way has challenged, has been challenged in that respect. You know, what does it mean? Are we at peace with that? Do we need to change something? These Mm. deep questions, 
you know, who has the time? COVID gave us the time. I, you know, gave me the time <laughs> to help me write that talk. You talked about being passed down through generations and denying um, your heritage um, and who you are. And as we think about colonization and then decolonization, this is this is where all of this starts to kind of come into the mm. play, which is what this kind of talk um, is about, you know. So let's just start with this. What does decolonization then mean to you? So decolonization for me is simply deprogramming. I came in contact with that concept in academic spaces, even at the best of times. I have to break out my dictionary, thesaurus, and get the Googles <laughs> to figure out what's happening in this conversation. And I didn't even know that I had been decolonizing, and we all are. Decolonization is not just an indigenous concept, it's something that we're all trying to peel back the layers, find our authentic selves, live a lifestyle that is true to your values and where you want to be. So for me, it's always asking these questions. If I'm in a relationship, whether it's personal, romantic, business, does this amplify my indigeneity? Am I getting closer to who I am? Or is it taking me away from that? you know, my authenticity, you know, is the practices or the collaboration, you know, dishonoring me, my sovereignty. And so if you can, you know, really peel back and focus on decolonization is getting back to you. The world is trying to get back to itself, you know, to the indigenous practices, to the way we used to do things. It's just wrapped up in a different package, whether it's sustainability or, you know, living a healthy lifestyle, you know, life balance, you know, work-life balance, all these things are decolonizing. So it's deprogramming to find your authentic self. Mm. One of the things that I really valued about your talk and and obviously speaking and listening and learning from you over the last um, years is hearing the stories. And part of, part of this is actually about listening. A lot of it is just about listening to those stories and understanding what is it, what has come before, what is here now? How can we use that as we, um, as you say, reprogram um, ourselves in so many ways? You, you spoke, um, the first story that you shared was about um, a very fierce warrior woman who lived here, where we are standing now, a woman called Barangaroo. Um, and everybody must know her story, but perhaps if you're listening somewhere else, you might not know. So who is Barangaroo and why is she so important to know about? Barangaroo is this fierce matriarch, Camaragal woman. She was very revered for her wisdom and just how she handled or challenged colonization when it came to the British colonists, them imposing their way of life, she was one of the main food providers of her tribe, along with the other Eora women who traversed these waters. And, you know, I'll talk about it tonight, but being in this space, you know, if you are mindful of it, you can feel her energy. And it's undeniable. And for her to be a force to be reckoned with at that time, you know, whatever views the, the British had of women, uh, which is so problematic to this day, for her to be in the forefront of seeing what devastation colonization would bring to her people and culture and to do what she did, you know, being invited, and I speak about in the TEDx talk, you know, being invited to a, a party with, with all the 
you know, the, the colonial attire, you know, the outfits and everything, very lavish, and to show up in white ochre and a bone through her nose. The statement was made that this is who I am, I'm never going to let go of it. But also, too, when her husband, Benelong, you know, conformed in his own way to that new lifestyle, you know, for her to having to, you know, separate herself from that decision that he made and go her own path, you know, there's a lot to be learnt from her story. You know, I grew up with these formidable women like Joan of Arc and Queen Elizabeth and all these women that I I didn't have any kind of connection to um, ancestrally or um, within my backyard. And, and to know that these stories are here, but they're not given the shine and, you know, they're not amplified in the way that they should. So it was without question to pay homage to Barangaroo after spending so much time, a lot of my you know, business meetings were taking place in this area and to have an inkling that she was a matriarch, to find out more information and, and have this gem in my hand and, and to work with her energy. A lot of us think about how we're going to prepare for meetings and how we're going to show up. Is it going to be boss lady today or is it going to be, okay, I need to keep it cool and be discerning. You're using energy and to have an, uh, an, you know, a superpower with the blending of her energy and that fierceness that this is my country and I'm going to fight for my country, my people. And whether female, masculine, it needed to be done. It's not just the role that is gendered. It's spirit. We have these stories. They are here to be listening to people like yourself and also the story of Brangaroo and others in order to be able to, you know, I don't, you, as you say, we don't have to go and look at, I don't know, what do people constantly wrap it on about? Steve Jobs, oh, what an amazing speaker he was. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. Yes, that's part of it. But actually here in this country, we have this beautiful history and stories that we can draw on that can be even more powerful, perhaps. Absolutely. Mm. I truly believe that. Me too. Thank you for helping me help helping me to understand that too. Um, you also talk about your Juguru um, in your talk, so uh, I'm wondering if you could um, help me understand um, in this moment uh, what this is for for us who are listening right now. Mm, Juguru, Juguru Guga, beautiful skin. That is a Jibril word meaning beautiful, my grandmother's language, and my mother first asked our elder, for that name. And she started to create her artworks under that name. And it lay dormant for a while until, you know, I came across some of the the cultural history that I was unpacking. And just to give life to that language, a language that we weren't allowed to speak. You know, sadly, a lot of the language that I'm searching for is in anthropological reports. It's in books. I don't know phonetically how to pronounce it. I need to find a few of the language speakers to be able to speak it, but to have Juguru Guga. And it was important to embed that in the talk because it was that embracing of my indigeneity from being that 11-year-old and turning my back on it to finding my way through this Western standard of beauty, it it wasn't pretty. (laughs) It was very ugly. 
but to find the beauty. And that happens when you indigenize beauty, when you come to self, you know, you find who you are and you're proud of who you are. And so there's a new chapter of Jaguru and trying to share that with the rest of the world, that you all have a form of your Jaguru that is burning inside of you. You just need to stop and listen to it. So to pay homage to my grandmother, who I never met, and you know her story is also too about how the pretty hurts, and and I hope to share that in a in a new project that's bubbling away uh, in the in the background. But yeah, it's uh, it's a coming of age. You know, it's my rite of passage to be able to use that language and embody it. Mm. That's what I hope to do. I'm delighted to speak with you. Thank you so much. It feels like a really a calm, a nice, beautiful place to wrap up. Is there anything you wanted to to say before we say goodbye? I would say be mindful of the people and places that you frequent. There's always her story embedded in that. Sasha Sarago, thank you so much. As always, amazing to speak with you. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.